Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Continuing this series today, talking about identity. And we've been talking about God's identity and we've been talking about our identity and the way that God made us, that he made us, he made, he made wild people and stuck them in a wild planet. Come on. And then what, so what we've done is we've domesticated ourselves. Society has domesticated us. All these systems have do, domesticated us and told us to calm down and, and leave this way and be this way. And God's saying, I want you to be free. I want you be, to be instinctively wild. And so God is breaking us and freeing us into that. And we, we hit on this last week. Uh, in John, in Luke chapter uh, three, and in in where Jesus was baptized, and he comes out of the water, and he says, "This Father speaks from heaven. He says, this is my beloved Son, and whom I am well pleased.'" And then immediately, as soon as Jesus hears about his identity from the affirmation of his Father, it says this in Luke chapter four, verse one. It says, "Jesus re- returned from the desert." So we know that in in Luke chapter three, Jesus went to the desert and was tempted by the devil, right? And what did he, te- what did, what did he test him every time? If you are the son of God. So he was questioning his identity. He was questioning his wildness. And every time he is, and he is trying to get him into bondage. He's trying to get him chained up. He's trying to get him to surrender, to be a slave to the enemy. And so all these things are happening. But it says this in Luke chapter four, verse one, that Jesus full of the Holy spirit after he goes through, how many of you know that after you've gone through a difficult season or a different, a difficult series, of events, when you come out on the other side, you're like, right? So it says this, that Jesus emerged from the wilderness. Come on, the wild place. And man, I'll tell you what, that is where the, the trials come because I believe that Jesus, Jesus had his identity. He knew what he, where, who he was and where he was from. However, it was in that place also that his identity was reaffirmed in a very real way, in the wild place. So Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So then he emerges from the wilderness, and after he comes out of the wilderness, it says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee. Now this is really when his ministry starts. Filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. How many of you know that's good news? And he taught regularly, underline that in your Bible, he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Now, Jesus wasn't always praised by everyone. Come on. How many know that some of the same people that were praising him in the beginning were killing him in the end? Right? And so, and that's for us too. Many times people will celebrate our wildness, they'll celebrate who we are, but as soon as we do something they don't like, then they're ready to chant crucify him. And this is the same with Jesus. So they were here and they were, they were praising him. They were excited about Jesus. They were excited about his ministry. And it says this, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood at home, he went as usual to the synagogue. How many know that Jesus went to church? Come on. So Jesus went as usual to the synagogue. Jesus went to church and he is about to take the church to them. All right, here we go. Then he's about to take him to church. On the Sabbath, he stood up and read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, uh, chapter 61. It says the prophet, the, uh, the prophet was uh, handed to him. I, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
So you got to understand, this is a messianic passage written about the Messiah who is going to come on the scene. Jesus has all this stuff. It, it, you're the son of God. This is who you are. You're the one. You're the Messiah. Jesus shows up on the scene. He goes into the synagogue. He asks for Isaiah 61, and he unrolls Isaiah 61, and he starts declaring the prophecy about himself. Come on. Come on, Jesus. Bring it. And so this, and this is what he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? For he has anointed me, and this is Jesus speaking, to bring the good news to the poor. Now, when Jesus is talking about the poor here, he's not just talking about people that don't have any money. He's talking about those who are in lack in spirit, Right? poor in spirit. So he's talking about, is he talking about financial? Yes. He's talking about anyone that's broken that has, that has lack in their life, emotional, physical, spiritual. So it's good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. The great liberator captives to be released, that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. How many of you have ever felt oppressed? They're like, everything's coming. Jesus said you will be free. Why? Because the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And he came. Not because you went through a 12-step program or because you read your Bible and prayed every day. Free people do those things. Come on. God may use those things to contribute to your freedom, but you're free because the spirit of the Lord is upon him. Because he had a purpose. And the time of the Lord's favor has come. So Jesus fulfills, declares, reads this prophecy, rolls up the scroll, and hands it back to the attendant and sat down. Everybody say, he sat down. Sit down. All eyes on the synagogue looked at him intently. They're like, oh my gosh. Is it true? I mean, we've heard the murmurings of the Messiah coming. We've heard the murmurings. Jesus could be the one. He, he could be the Messiah. Maybe jo- what John the Baptist was saying is really true. And here he is declaring the, the, probably the clearest prophetic word about the Messiah. Jesus declares it, hands back the scroll, and he sits down. And he sits down. And then he speaks to them. Now, this was, this was typical for rabbis to do this. They would read the scriptures, then they would sit down and they'd teach. We stand up and teach, but back in those days, they would sit down and teach. And then this is what Jesus says. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So he didn't just read the scripture. He fulfilled it. Jesus fulfilled the scripture. Now, when Jesus sat down, there's a lot of speculation about what happened when Jesus sat down. Now, there's kind of this idea that inside the synagogue, there was a chair that was specifically set up for the Messiah, that no one could ever sit there until the Messiah. And so a lot of people believe that this was an empty chair that was there for, you know, hundreds of years. And so when Jesus read the scripture and he sat down, he sat in the Messiah's chair. We don't really have any biblical proof of this. Um, There's just kind of some speculation. And so could that have been what Jesus, yes, uh, but I don't know, I don't know. But what we do know is that, and Jesus mentions this, and we're going to get into it, is there was a seat in the synagogue called the seat of Moses. Everybody say the seat of Moses. 
Now, or some, some people call it the Bama, the Bama seat, which would be like the judge. When we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, we're talking about the Bama seat. And what that is, is that's the judgment seat. So really the Bama seat and the seat, the seat of Moses could be the, the, the same thing because that's where the person that would sit that had the authority because they would judge matters in the temple. It wasn't like they just come to church and heard good, heard good teaching and sang a couple songs and went home. They'd actually judge matters. It was kind of like the center of the city where people would come to deal with things. And so when Jesus sets down, I believe that Jesus sat down in the seat of Moses. Now, do we have a picture of that seat, I believe. And this is, there's actually archaeological evidence of this seat. So this would be like all these seats around in the synagogue. And there was this seat called the seat of Moses. Now, how many know that like in Congress, Congress has seats, right? And so the seat isn't just a physical seat. There is a physical seat, but it's also a figurative seat, right? So if you have that seat, then you have authority. So before all the authority belonged to the law, right? The seat of Moses, who was given the law. We call this sometimes the law of Moses. And so when Jesus sits down in the seat, he reads a scroll, fulfills, just like what Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the law. Then he says, I'm also fulfilling the law of Moses. Here's the scripture. The, 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 the prophecy is fulfilled. I'm sitting down in the seat of Moses. Check this out. Matthew chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, now these are the people that run, run the synagogue, right? Sit in Moses' seat. What is he saying? He's saying that they're the people that, that, that are established as the authority currently. They run the show. They run the system. Right? The experts of the law. Y'all okay? Y'all tracking with me? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. Other words, respect them. Right? Don't go in there, revolution, get that out. Right? No. Obey them and do everything they tell you, but don't do what they do. Do what they say, but don't act like them. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So do this, do it. I'm going to stand over here and watch. That's the way these, this system worked. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They didn't do it for God to see. They did it for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. What, what is this? A phylactery is, a, is like a little boxes that would have scriptures in them, Right? It'd be kind of like if you had a bunch of Christian bumper stickers on your car with, you know, scriptures on it or on your refrigerator and you made it real big so everybody can see. Not to be reminded of the promise. There's nothing wrong with that, but you were doing it to be seen. Wearing your Christian t-shirt so everybody knows that you're a Christian. Having your Christian uh, fish on your car so everybody knows you're a Christian, but you drive like a demon. Now put that overflow sticker on there, but also change the way you drive and don't be flipping people off when you're driving. Right? Please, if you drive like that, okay, we're not judging it, but take the sticker off. It'd be great. Thanks. Right? Come on. Everything they do is done for men to see. They, 
and they do this. So they make their garments long. They, they want to look real religious, but they do it all to be seen. They love the place of honor at banquets and most importantly, seats in the synagogue. So they, they really like this position that they have. They, they have this, this religiosity about them, but they have no heart. And so this was the problem. It wasn't so much what, what, what they were doing. It's not so much what they quote unquote believed. It was really how they lived and how they acted towards people because they were oppressing people. So when Jesus comes and says, I come to set people free, what is he saying I'm setting you free from? I'm setting you free from the oppression, from these people that are t- sitting here not willing to help you out. And there's, they're saying they're God's representative, but they're not representing God very good. Right? So Jesus tells them, be compliant, honor their position, be nice, right? Then Jesus goes into, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus goes into seven woes about this system. What is the problem here? I mean, we see Jesus being so nice to people, right? To broken people, to hurting people. What is the problem? Why does Jesus have such a problem with religious people? Why is he so critical of the Pharisees? The people who sat in Moses' seat. I mean, Moses represented God. It's Moses' seat. I mean, God like set this thing up. And Jesus is being critical of the ones who are sitting in the place that God set up. What is the deal? What is the problem with the system? I would say that the problems with that system are the same problems in every system. They're based upon systems. They're not based upon people. And let me just say this. Religion is not a bad word. You are religious. I'm not religious. I just have a relationship with the Lord. Do you obey the Lord? Yes. Then you're religious. And when someone tells you you're religious, don't be all super spiritual. Be like, I'm not religious. I just love the Lord. You are religious. In fact, James encourages you to be religious and to keep your religion by taking care of people. So you are everybody's religious. Religious just means you, you have a, a value system that you hold to that's unmovable. It's not a bad word. Religion. Oh, I don't like that word. I know you don't because you've met people that just have religion, but they don't have heart. And that's a problem that Jesus had with these people. So Jesus come to bring religion. What well, kind of Jesus come to, to change the way religion works? It's a relationship. Yes. That's how we relate to God and relate to people. But it does have a system. There, are a value, there is a value system. So don't be so weird. Because people compliment us. They're like, you're so religious. I admire this. Oh, I'm not religious. Relax. It's okay. They don't, they don't get the, you know, that's become the Christianese, right? Yeah. Okay, so the religious, but we're talking about the religious state. And let me say this. Many people, when they talk about Pharisees and heresies and Sadducees, right, and heretics and all these people, when we start talking about this system, immediately people think that Jesus is talking about the church, like the local church in 2018. Isn't that what we do? Well, Jesus is talking to the church. No, 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 no. Jesus is not talking to the church because the church hadn't been birthed yet. How many know Jesus loves the church? Jesus did not love this system. Are you with me? So don't automatically assume, and that's, a, that's a mistakenly applying these scriptures of Jesus talking to the religious to say that he's, could he be talking to some people in the church? Yeah. But he could also be talking to people in the world. Because religion isn't owned by the church. It's actually more of a world system than it is a church system, right? And, and it creeps into the church. 
I'm not saying it doesn't exist. So many mistake and imply the religious system of Jesus is teaching to the church today. The church is not free from hypocrites, but Jesus was referring to, listen to this, a godless people that were regulating and relying on those values for righteousness. Get this. They were saying, you've got to do this to be right before God. You've got to value this to be a righteous person. That's what religion does. That's what systems do. It doesn't matter if it's a quote-unquote religious system or if it's a paganistic, atheistic system. If it's a system, you say, you've got to be right, you've got to do these things. That's not the gospel. The gospel is we are right because of what Jesus has done. Because when he read that scroll and he talked about setting prisoners free, he was talking about all of us. Because we've all been in bondage at one time to a system. The system of sin was the the bondage that we were in before. So when Jesus rolls up the scroll and sits down and says it's fulfilled today, he sat in Moses' seat. He said, this system is over. Now it's my seat. So Christianity is not defined, listen, by our values. Christianity is is defined by the man, Christ Jesus. Y'all okay? So godless people who are regulating and relying on those values for righteousness. It sounds a lot more like the media and Hollywood than it does to the church. Right? Because most church people I know, they're like, yeah, I am a hypocrite. Right? Right? I I got a ways to go. Let's move along. Problems with the system. The first problem, I want to talk about three, three woes, if you will. Jesus talks about seven. Read those. The first problem that Jesus had with the system, and all systems are this way. This is the problem with systems, is they pick and choose. Preference. Preference. Pick and choose. Check this out. Matthew 23, 23. Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income of your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Those are the weightier matters. You should tithe, yes. In fact, isn't it interesting? The only thing that we ever see, the only compliment Jesus ever pays the religious was this, is that they tithed. It's the only time he said, you're doing good. You should tithe. Yes, please keep doing that. It's the only thing. So we were like, oh, oh, Jesus didn't talk about tithing. He talks about it right here. It says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Because there are more important things. There are more important things than your money. Right? But your money shows where your values are. Justice, mercy, and faith. So don't get, you don't get to pick and choose. Well, I tithe, so now I can live like the devil. Come on. Right? Well, I feed the homeless so I can get drunk every Saturday night. It doesn't work like that. It's not a work system. Y'all okay? All right, preference. Don't pick and choose. Listen, buy the field. Jesus talks about that. He's like, buy a field. You know, when you buy a field, there's a treasure in that field, but there's also weeds. Come on. There's also potholes that need, there, there are some issues. When you came into the kingdom, listen, you came in, there's a great treasure, but you're living life with people. And sometimes there's, there's some weeds and sometimes there's some work that needs to be done on the ground. We've got to take care of the ground. We got to take care of each other. Come on. It's not just a system. So, so chill with the preference thing. Just buy in, take the whole thing. It's not perfect. We're perfectly loved, but we're, the church isn't perfect. Come on. 
Y'all all right? Number two is pretending. So they were, were good at preference. They were also good at pretending. In fact, the word hypocrite is taken from the old plays that they used to do. And they would put these masks on. So if they were sad, we've talked about this before. If they were sad, they put a sad face mask on. Didn't matter if they were happy underneath. They just walked around, I'm sad, I'm sad, I'm sad. If they were sad and they needed to act happy, then they put the happy mask on. They walk around, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy. And they weren't happy, they were sad. They were being hypocrites. They were putting a face on that was different than what they really were. Performance. All about performance. See, the Pharisees were... Um, Sorry, Matthew 15, verse 7. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, lip service, right? But their hearts are far from me. So Jesus has a problem whenever we sit here and we give lip service. We, we say that we follow God. We say that we value this, and then we live this other way, right? What is that? That's hypocrisy. It's pretending. Stop pretending, one of the things that we love about community, one of the things the, 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 the thing that we spend most of the heavy lifting on in community is getting rid of all the pretending. And it's hard, right? Because we're taught our whole life that you need to pretend. Put your game face on. Listen, I'm not saying sometimes that you don't need to rise to the occasion. If you don't feel like being at work, how I many you know you need to put your game face on and you need to go to work because you're responsible and you're an adult, right? And being self-disciplined sometimes is the greater value than being real or what you call it. What you need to be real is to be a man and woman of integrity. I'm not talking about that, but what I'm talking about is that we live this life that say, I'm this, but inside we don't really love God. And we say we love God and, you know, I'm all about it. And then, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to read through that. And we know that, right? So God has a problem when we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. How many know that that you can talk honor all day long, but that's not honor. That's just flattery. And so these people were flattering God with their words. They weren't honoring God, right? Honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. God wants heart honor. Everybody say heart, heart honor. It's good. All right. So preference, pretending, number three, performing. This is really where I want to spend the lifting today. Performing. Everybody say performing. See, we live in a performance-oriented world. Most, almost every system, in fact, I can't think of one that's not, every system that we know of is performance-oriented, right? The jobs, the companies we work for, right? It's all, it's all about your performance. You get bonuses-based, you get promotions-based, everything's based upon your performance. And so the problem with these experts of the law is they were going around and they were looking at everybody's performance. So when Jesus shows up on the scene and heals people, listen, Jesus shows up on the scene and heals people on the Sabbath. They go, they don't go, man, praise God. This guy's healed. They go, why are you healing on the Sabbath? The law says you should sit around and not do anything on the Sabbath. Are you with me? They were all caught up with the principle and people performing what they think that needs to be performed. So the, the Pharisees were experts of the law who sat in Moses' seat. They were monitoring the performance of those, how well they kept the law, making sure the people didn't run wild. Right? Don't eat that. Did, you, did I see you at that catfish restaurant the other day? I heard you were at that crawfish bowl. Right? Pray, thank you for the cross. Right? Glorious. 
But what they were doing, listen, it's not so much that keeping the law was wrong. They were actually adding to the law, if you didn't know that. But they were slaving people into bondage. And they were putting people into bondage. And they, 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 it was kind of like a meanness that said, you know what? God doesn't like you because you're not keeping the Sabbath. God doesn't like you because you're wearing a, a shirt that has cotton and polyester in it. I know. Isn't that so stupid? But while we were yet sinners, <laughs> Christ came. But our, listen, we, 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 again, I, I want you to disconnect that from the church. I'm not saying that some of this isn't in the church. It is. But our world says perform, perform, perform. Our world does. Perform better. Lose, lose more weight so you look better. Make more money so society will look at you a better way. Get a higher education because it's important how you look. Have more followers on your social media. Get more likes. Get more agreement, less tension. And so what we do is we have this whole fake persona that we develop. And then we look, then we look at our, our best in our raw state, and we put it out for everybody to see, and we say we're being raw. I'm just going to post this selfie with just got out of bed, but first let me check my hair first and take 15 pictures. I'm being real. I get it. I don't really want to see those pictures anyway, but the reality is this, and I'm not being insulting, but listen, the reality is this, is we're filled in a world, we're in a world filled with comparison, achievement, and success. It's, it's all around us. Should you be successful? Should you work hard? Yes, absolutely. Get this. But listen, our identity is not wrapped up, beloved. Our identity is not wrapped up in how well I perform today. If I did this to my son Judah and, and, and he went and played soccer next Saturday and we went out and we took him on the field and he didn't perform well and I said, you've done this and that and that and you should have performed. Perform. Whose son are you? How terrible of a father would I be? Beloved, are you controlled by a performance system? I would say that most of us are. And sometimes we impose that God has this view of us. We do. We do it all the time. We were like, man, I, I need to do this so I can earn some kind of accolade with God. I need to do this so God will love me more, so God will like me more. It's self-imposed. I believe it's the devil. Are you controlled by a performance system or mindset, or, or are you living according to your heavenly instinct? Second Peter chapter 2.19, it says this, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. What dictates your choices in life? I need more money. I gotta go to work. Then you're a worker. That's your identity. You need to be a hard worker. We're gonna talk about that. But listen, Jesus came. Are y'all okay today? Listen, Jesus came to set you free from this performance driven mindset. I've gotta be better, I've gotta look better. Got to get more people to like me. I need to get more people to, to say my name and chant. Why are we so consumed with this performance mindset? Jesus wants to set you free to be who you were created to be. And I believe that when he stood up that day and read this scroll, that's exactly what he was talking about. I want you free from the oppression. I want you free from the bondage that these people are sitting in. And guess what? I'm taking over Moses' seat. It's fulfilled today. 
a new era, a new covenant. That's the old way. I'm bringing in the new way. We've got to die to the old way and embrace the new way. Perspectives of the wild and free. How many of y'all are ready to be wild and free? Just free in your identity, who you are. I want to give you some perspectives. This is going to help you today. Are you okay? And let me just say this. Man, I just want to love God. Yes, I want to love God too. But listen, love can only be expressed where freedom exists. Why did God give us free will? Because God wants lovers. And lovers can only express love. You can only be a lover when you're free not to love. Isn't God sovereign? Yes, but he wants lovers. So he's not going to make you do anything. Because he wants you to love him. And then he put two trees and he said, well, they love me. And we gave up our wild nature. Love can only be expressed where freedom exists. And that is our goal, right? We want that great commandment. We want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we, listen, we've got to have freedom. And the, the thing was is the religious system was taking away their freedoms. Are you okay? Sadly, we see ourselves before the Lord as performers working for love. Listen, you never, ever, ever did anything to make yourself worthy of the love of God. You're worthy of the love of God because he created you and he looked on you and he said, I love you because he chose to love you. That's what made you worthy of his love. It's weird. He's like, I see, I see Zach Massa. I want to love him. I made him. I want to love him. And he does deeply. We, we kind of, this is, this is how we kind of live. We kind of live sometimes, I feel like, that we're a display at Heaven's Zoo. Wild but caged. Free to run, but not really. All this striving, all this performing, and no wonder we have, don't have peace. Right? Because I can never be good. And now it's like in front of us because, because we live in the information age and the news cycle's in front of us in 10 seconds and then it's gone in 10 seconds. That's the bad thing about it, right? Nothing sets in. We're numb to everything. And we wonder why we don't have peace is because we're striving to be better than the next guy, right? We, we are. We all are. I don't know. Maybe you're not. But I, I know for me, like that's a battle I face. I gotta be better. I feel less about myself by seeing another person's achievement. Am I the only one? Beloved, that is a performance-driven mindset. I feel less about myself because of the success of another person. Performers, we've got to stop. We've got to stop this. Let's talk about this. There is a difference, and I want to balance this out. There is a difference between production and performance. There is a difference between production and performance. You produce fruit. You don't perform fruit. You perform works. That's why it's the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Fruit comes naturally. And there is a, listen, there is a holy good kind of striving. But it's not striving for a place, it's striving from a place. Because I am loved by God. I'll be good at my job. Because I am a child of God, I own it on my goals at work. Because I am a child of God, 
I'm getting raises and bonuses left and right. And I work my rear off every time I give myself completely. Not because I'm working for something, but because I know who I am. And I know that I'm an ambassador for King Jesus. And I know that everything I do, I do as unto the Lord. Listen, we are free unto Jesus. We are free unto Jesus. Kingdom people should be the most productive people on the planet. I'm not telling you don't produce. Be lazy. Sit around at home. That's not what you were created for. You'll never find fulfillment that way. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. So we do our best to present ourselves as one who is already approved. You're already approved. Now present yourself as approved. I'm loved by God. I don't have to do anything to earn it. I just am. And now I'm like killing it at work. I'm crushing my goals. I'm disciplined at the gym. Everything is better. Why? Because I have a great man inside of me. And it's not Josh Brown. It's Jesus. So what are the perspectives of the wild and free? The first perspective is this. Jesus took a seat. The seat that monitored your behavior, the seat that monitored your morality, the seat that said, do this, don't do that. Jesus says, be free, and he sits in that seat. Jesus, in a very real sense, was sitting on top of Moses. It's not the seat. The, the, the kingdom isn't about the seat of Moses anymore. It's about the seat of Jesus. You know, I, I have a chair at home. It, it's really my chair. Some people sit in it sometimes, but it's my chair. Nathan comes over to the house, and he likes to sit there. One day, Elisa was sitting in my chair, and she does, and I don't mind. I'm not, like, that way about it most of the time. And so she goes, oh, Daddy, I'm sitting in your seat. Little stinker, right? And I'm like, all right. And so I went over there and I got, you know, didn't put all my weight on it, but, you know, kind of sit down on her. And she's like, ah, ah. How many times do we come and try to sit in the seat of Jesus? It's not cute. That story's cute, but it's not cute when we try to sit in his seat. Because he needs to do what he needs to do. Beloved, will you understand that when Jesus sat down, he was saying the work is finished. And not just here when he read the prophecy. When when he sat down then, he he was saying the old is finished. I'm bringing in the new. But do you know that when Jesus died and rose from the grave, spent time on the earth, and then he ascended into heaven, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says that he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. What happens when God sits? When God sits, it means the work is finished. The work is finished for your righteousness. Beloved, this is a perspective of the free, that Jesus is sitting at heaven, in heaven. His work is done. Y'all okay? Galatians chapter 3. Before this faith came, what faith? What we're talking about, placing faith in what Jesus did. We were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. How are you justified? By faith. But, but I do 
by faith, simply. The law, one translation says it this way. The law was a schoolmaster. The law was a, the the law was set up to get, to get culture and society and the world ready for Jesus to show up on the scene, read the scripture and sit down. The law was set up for that moment and for the moment at the cross. Listen, now faith has come. We are no longer under the supervision of the law. There it is in your Bible. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, not me. I'm a daughter. No, you're a son because the son is the one that, biblically speaking, is the one that receives the inheritance. So sons and daughters, think of child if that makes you feel better. I know we're getting rid of all those pronouns now or whatever, but deal with it. Sons of God. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You've put Christ on, the one who is seated, the one who has finished the work. There was neither Jew Come on. Nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, nor black, nor white. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. The heirs, Abraham's seed are the heirs of those who receive the promise. You've received the promise because you are a kid, not because you did something. It's because you believe that Jesus is sitting in heaven and the work is finished. And you've trusted that work. This will set you free. Jesus took a seat. Number two, we are seated. We are seated. We're not on the stage. That was awesome. I should do that more often. It's never been about your performance. Listen, it is, beloved, it has never, sit down. Judah and I play uh, Madden sometimes. And like, if he gets a good play, he goes, sit down. And I'm like, that's what we need to do. Sit down. It's ne- Beloved, it's never been about your performance. It's always been about his. The greatest performance has already happened. The greatest event in human history has already happened. The best thing that will ever happen to you already happens. Will you receive it and set and go, just trust it, just like you're trusting the chair that you're sitting in right now. Will you just trust and sit down and go, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. I am a child of God. There's no room in me to worry. There's no room in me to stress out. There's no room in me to strive to be approved. It's just who I am. Check this out, Ephesians 2. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. Take a seat next to Jesus. You're seated in heavenly places. It's your position. Did you know? Did you know that you have access to everything that Jesus has access to? Well, I just don't know if healings. What about Jesus? Does Jesus have access to healing? Yeah, yeah. Well, then you have access to healing. Oh, cure cancer. I don't know. Did Jesus, would Jesus have the power to do that? Yeah, then you have the power. Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. You got the power. I got the power. Right? If you had that thing. You know, we used to watch, we quit watching a long time ago, but it was the only singing competition that we got into. It's called American Idol. You guys know that? Remember that? They have another one now. I guess it's better. I don't know. 
So they kind of started this whole like singing competition, you know, everybody striving, everybody performing. And they, they really built their platform off the mistakes of others, though. Because the fun part about American Idol is when people go in an audition and they were terrible. Right? You watched it. Come on, you laughed. It's okay. You're, you can be a Christian and laugh at that. And they were just, they shouldn't be there, right? They shouldn't be performing. And they get up, of course, they have these great performers that go on and, you know, end up being stars and all this kind of stuff. And then at, whenever they would go and they perform and they would stand there before these judges who were watching them, I, I th- think those judges are kind of like the Pharisees. They're like, let's see what you got. Let's see if you can perform. And then, and so what they do is they get up there and sing. And if they made it, they would give them a yes or a no. And if they had two yeses, then they would give them a ticket. Beloved, cancel the audition. Cancel the audition. You already got your ticket. You're already seated. The place is already established. Just call. Just say, you know what? I don't need to perform anymore. I know who I am. I'm the beloved of God. I'm a star in heaven. God looks at me and he adores me just the way I am. I don't have to do anything else to get his approval and for him to call me child. Beloved, cancel the audition. You got the ticket. You already won. And number three. Is an inheritance is greater than performance. Inheritance is greater than performance. You've been given something that you could never earn by working. We are seated positionally. We have the same position that Jesus has. What do we call Jesus? The Son of God. What are we speaking? We're speaking of his authority when we say that. Do you know what you are in Jesus? You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You might have been felt and left out your whole life. You might be striving right now in your life. You might be working your tail off day in, day out. At the end of the day, doesn't matter how much money you have or how much you accomplish, you still feel empty. Can I tell you today that you can work full and be full at the end of the day? If you will just sit where you're supposed to sit at the seat of his righteousness, the seat of his performance, inheritance is better than performance. You can't earn it. There's not a thing that you can do to earn God's love. There's not a thing that you can do to earn the grace of God. There's not one thing you can do. There's not one thing, beloved, there's nothing you can do to earn it. He already, listen, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. He already loves you as much as you can humanly, heavenly possibly be loved. He loves you more than you'll ever, ever, ever be able to imagine already in your current state right now, what you're doing, how you are now. No matter how much of that love you've accepted or how much of that love you rejected, he loves you still the same. His love is unchanging. It's not moving. It's not going anywhere. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The end. But God, I've done. He loves you. But you know what? He loves you. It's the end. I love you, period. You ever hear that song? I love you, period. That's where the song ends in heaven. I just love you. The end. Is it good enough for you? One more scripture. We're done. Galatians 4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, to redeem those that were under the rule of the seed of Moses, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. Jesus came to break the system and give you adoption. 
Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit that calls out Abba, Father. We're going to be doing a series later on this year about being fathered by God. You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. God has made you an heir to the love of God, to the grace of God, to everything. Listen, everything that God has belongs to you. Not because you've performed for it, but because Jesus performed for it.